Let's give it up for the band. Yes. Um, we started a new series on our last value, our last promise, uh, that we promise to pay the price for life change. And I trust that everyone in here has experienced that if you've been around Genesis Metro for very long. If you haven't been, then that is a challenge for us to take up that mantle so that when you walk through the doors, you experience that, that your life change is worth it, that we are going to pay the price in serving time, energy, resources, so that your family can experience the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And when we preach the Bible, we believe that the Bible has the power to produce transformative work in your life. And whatever that is, if that is in your marriage, if that is in your finances, if that is in your attitude, if that is in your relationship, or maybe even your purpose and how you look at what you do for a living, I hope that you would have something that you feel like God has called you to, that you're making a difference for the kingdom through what you do. It may be through the relationships, it'd be through the money you amass that goes back into the kingdom. There's so many ways that God is trying to work through you, and I hope today that I can encourage you and inspire you. I wanted to start off with a, a couple of thoughts. Um, have you ever noticed that we're not all counting the same way? Is anybody, is anybody married to someone that you realize that they don't count exactly like you count? Is anybody, by show of hands, has anybody ever known someone like you count differently? Is anybody on your team at work that like they count differently? Like we ever, you ever had an agreement, like how we're going to count and then like you got to the end and like you could count, but they, they just, their number was very different than your number. Anybody like, and you know what I'm talking about? Um, I thought I might illustrate it. Uh, I got a YouTube clip this morning that it's kind of a classic at this point. If you, uh, travel the YouTube regions, um, but uh, watch this with me and see if you can see that two people are counting different ways. Traveling from Logan to Boise, and I just proposed a math question to my beautiful wife, Chelsea, and the question, very difficult to calculate, is if you are traveling 80 miles per hour, how long does it take you to go 80 miles? Okay, what do you think, Chel? Let's go through the process. What do you think? Well, if I run the mile in about nine minutes. Wait, what about the tire turning thing you were talking about? You think that affects it? Well, I'm just guesstimating probably about, it turns about 400 <laughs> times in a mile. That's just ca calculate, like guessing calculations? Yeah, I don't know how you would work that out. It'd be tough. Yeah, so, I don't know, because if I run a mile in like nine minutes, then, I mean, but that's when I'm out of shape. When I'm really in shape at like <laughs> seven minutes is when I'm like really in shape. And that takes me a mile. And we're going 80 miles. I'm running at about probably 10 miles per hour, if that. Yeah. And that's pretty fast for a human. But, I mean, it's got to take at least like 58 minutes or something. 58 minutes? It's pretty close. To go 80 miles. Do you want to know what the answer is? What? Think about 80 miles per hour. Yeah. 
So how long does it take me to go 80 miles if I'm traveling 80 You're miles per you are, hour? You are driving faster than a minute a mile. Yeah, totally. So it, I would <laughs> whack 80. She, she was finishing there with, I would whack the 80 in half. And uh, it just goes downhill from there. Anyway, sometimes I've just realized we're not all counting the same way, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever had a person that was on your team and they said, uh, they handed you the project back and they, it's not, uh, let's just say it's not complete, but they said they did their best. Has anybody ever had this happen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not complete, but they said they did their best. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like we said we were going to do this. And then they came back with this, but they said they did their best. Do you think, like, did you do your best with research? Did you do your best with time management? Did you do your best with trialing it? Or did you, like, run out of time, and you're saying you did your best with your procrastination? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't you really want their best? Couldn't it have been better if you'd have just added some of those things to it? But if we're not counting the same, see, we're not counting the same on the value of effort, the value of efficiency, the value of excellency. It's very important how we count. I guarantee you, if people count faithfulness different in a marriage, well, that's not going to be any good. I guarantee you, your children count what obedience looks like different than you do. If you have teenagers, I guarantee you they can do the exact wrong thing and somehow in their calculus, they have not sinned. Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So all I want to get to today is like, today we're going to look at, I think, an inspirational passage, but a challenging one. There's going to be a couple of incidents where people were offering uh, their best to Jesus, and then there's going to be some people that are kind of, uh, kind of saying that the person offering the gift is being wasteful, that Jesus isn't worthy of the gift that's being given. And man, I'm going to tell you right now, when I get to that, I'm going to preach that thing, all right? And I hope that your heart's on the right side, because if it isn't, I'm coming for you today. I'm just giving you, I'm giving you a heads up that if you need a bathroom break or something in the middle of the sermon, I'll understand. We'll have, a, we'll have an eye contact as you walk out. Like, I wasn't ready for that, Pastor Tim. Oh, I'm coming. There's two different monsters that we're going to look at today. There's the more monster... And there's the me monster. And that's two monsters that we all have to face. As a matter of fact, I think the more monster is the Frisco mascot. When you move to Frisco, they give you a little mascot put on your yard. It's called the more monster. And I am not against wealth. I pray that our congregation is the wealthiest congregation in Frisco, Texas. Because I believe our people will do more with that wealth to transform the kingdom of God. 
And so there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's that when wealth has you instead of you having wealth, that's where it becomes the problem. It's just like having a drink. There's nothing wrong with having a drink. Jesus turned the water into wine. <laughs> but if the drink has you, and for those of us that have experienced that, you know what I'm talking about, um, then that's not good. You know, It's the same way with almost all things. Food, working out, all these types of things. All of them have a two-edged sword that if they become an addiction that goes beyond balance and becomes the thing that you love the most, then that's where it's an idol and it needs to be sacrificed. And so um, I hope that I can help you with your counting today. First story we're going to look at sets up really the other two was a parable of the barn builder. He says um, he told this parable of a guy, it was a certain rich man, and his uh, farm yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grains. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty. You have grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I like that God talks to people like I talk to my children. Um, this very night, your life, your soul will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The more monster stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now let's, let's just think about it, right? He's saying there's nothing wrong with storing up things, right? I'm going to tell you, I am a store, all right? I'm borderline a hoarder, okay? I, I just don't feel the need to throw things away. I've tried to get better, you know, but I just, I just like to hold on to things. Does anybody else like this by show of hands? Does anybody else like this? It's like, you know, I might need that someday, you know? I mean, we got some red leather pants from a men's event we did a couple years back. I hold on to those things. You know, there might be a red leather pants night, you know, in my future at some point. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with holding on to these things. Um, but, but here this man starts to say his life will be about accumulating more. And here's where the more monster gets in the way. That now it's not about that I have more. It's like, how can I get more? How can more be the answer to all of my things? How can more get to the place that all it is is about my more? And now my life is so easy in this life. I'm so content in this life that I, I now have no need. I have no want. But I've yet, net, yet ugh, never contributed to the kingdom of God. I am not rich towards him. I made all of my life about more instead of about the man named Jesus 
Christ. And he said, you have to be rich towards God. You can't just be rich towards the things of this world. You have to be rich towards God. If you're not planting in the kingdom of God, how would you ever be producing in the kingdom of God? The fruits of the Spirit are love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Okay? If you're not producing those things towards God, then I will see it in all of your relationships. Your relationships will tell me how you're counting. So if your love inside of your marriage is not where it needs to be, I can tell you, you're not counting that. You're somehow counting these other things that you do. If kindness isn't showing up in your relationships, I can tell you that you're counting on other things. You're saying, I'm not gonna, I don't like that one. Gentleness. Now, this is one that, that I have to work on. Anybody else? Non-gentle people? Coach Span. I know he's not gentle. Hey, you bunch of idiots, get over here. How are we going to do this? I'm going to try to hit the baseball today. You know, that's what they need, by the way. Don't be that parent like, he's talking mean to my child. <laughs> I'm going to make a man out of your boy is what I'm going to do. Preach? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but the barn builder was counting on more to be the value. But Jesus said it was richness towards God. So which one are you aiming at this morning? Which side are you on? If you were to look at your 401k financial plan, financial forecast for the kingdom, which one are you aiming at? Are you trying to get more for you or are you trying to get more for God? What changes would have to be made if you were trying to be rich towards God? I want you to encourage you to think about that. Again, God talks about being a good steward of the things that you have. God says he wants to pour out his blessing on you. So we're not talking about asceticism. We're not talking about a poverty mindset. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about is the aim more or is the aim more towards God? And if you could get to the aim is more towards God, that's a win, okay? So that gives us the more monster. And then really specifically, I want us to look at the me monster. It says in John chapter 12, that was six days before the Passover, and um, here we're going to have like a, a theological Jersey Mike's uh, number 13, okay? And I get mine with rye bread. Um, not rye bread, Parmesan. What is it? Parmesan rye? Is that, is that a thing? Rosemary, thank you. <laughs> Parmesan, rosemary. And um, then I have mayonnaise. Uh, salt, pepper, oregano, and banana peppers, light lettuce, tomatoes. It's a delicious sandwich. I'm just telling, I almost put a, a thing up there so you could screenshot it. That could be your lunch today. Whenever you see all these ingredients, independent, you wouldn't know, but like you put them all together. Oh, that's, that's heaven. That's heaven in a sandwich. Okay, so... This first verse here says, six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now let's just, uh, let's just stay there for a second. Okay. Six days before the Passover. 
The Passover, if you'll remember, in the Old Testament is when Moses was told to kill the, this sheep, this lamb, and put its blood on the doorpost of their house. And then when the death angel came, he would pass over them and that they would be set free. And that that Passover was to be observed for all time until it was fulfilled in the Lamb of God. So it's six days before the Passover, which means it's six days before Jesus is going to step into his intended prophetic messianic role and Jerusalem where he will be crucified. So it's six days before the Passover. You got to remember the context of the Passover. There had been 424 years of slavery. 424 years of same. 424 years of no freedom. And at the Passover, they were going to be set free. God was going to take them out of an impossible situation. So every year that we celebrated the Passover, it was celebrating how God set us free miraculously and gave them more than they could handle as they walked out. So six days before the celebration of the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. You're going to learn that the uh, Apostle John, the writer, he likes to throw in little tidbits, like, you know, little, little, little shockers um, as he goes along. So he doesn't just tell the story, like, and Lazarus was there. He's like, and Lazarus is there, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, okay? He just likes to throw those in there. Verse two, it says, here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Number one, uh, this is the only time that I could remember in Scripture where they had a party, uh, a Jesus honor party. Like they were like, we're going to honor Jesus in this house. And I thought, man, sometimes we need to take some time and honor Jesus in his house, right? I don't want y'all to ever get the feeling that this is about how good can we sing the songs and how well can we transition the children out of the children's ministry and how great could your cup of coffee be at our now gourmet coffee area and how many times can you talk to your friend that you haven't seen all week or how many times can Pastor Tim craft some clever quote that you can put on your Instagram? Um, you know, it's a little bit more than that. There's a time where I hope every week we are honored Jesus in his house. So I thought we would just take a moment and you hold your applause for just a moment. But if, if Jesus has ever came and found you when you were wandering in the wrong direction, if Jesus has ever loved you after you lied to him and said that you wouldn't do it Again, if Jesus has ever comforted you in a time where you felt like 
comfort was impossible. If Jesus has ever reached out and forgiven you whenever you've done something over and over again, if, ye, if Jesus has saved you and you really, by logic, shouldn't even be sitting in here today, then could we give him some gratitude in his house today? Can we say thank you, Jesus? in your house today. Go ahead and say, thank you, Jesus, in your house today. I can't hear you. Say, thank you, Jesus. Man, I, I feel like that energy should be where we started with. So like, if y'all could get there at the beginning, then, then, you know, it would help me. Like, you know, it's kind of like a boom, bam, energy's coming there, coming back. Sometimes it's like, I feel like it just, you just absorb it and you don't reflect it back to me, okay? So you gotta give it to me, okay? Um, so here we go. Man, so much to unpack here. Mary is the only one recognizing the worth of Jesus. When she breaks this ointment, which was supposed to be produced for a burial, she's prophesying that she's acknowledging who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is her Savior. In the previous chapter, just a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Lazarus was dead. Her brother was dead. And Jesus shows up on her darkest day. I want you to think about that. Why was she inspired to give such a gift? We have to say that it was personal, right? It was personal. When Jesus got there, they were weeping. And they said, oh, Lord, if you would have only been here sooner, then this would not have happened. And Jesus had already told the disciples that he was asleep and it didn't matter because what was going to happen was for God's glory. And then they didn't understand what he was saying and he said, he's dead. And like, I felt like Jesus had a lot of those moments. Like, okay, I was trying to like say on the low, he's asleep, but he's dead, okay? And so they get there and then Mary's like, if you'd have just been here, Lord, and he would have not died. He said, no, he died so that I could demonstrate the power of the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, those that perish will not die. And he raises Lazarus from the grave. <laughs> He had been dead four days. And they said, hey, Lord, because he said, roll back the stone. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to have a smell by now. And they're like, no, no, no. And he calls out his name. Man, the power of Jesus knowing your name. Man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, if you've named the name of Christ this morning, he knows 
every single one of his children's name. To hear him call your name, Lazarus, come out. I mean, can you imagine being awakened from that nap? <laughs> Four days. You're like in the most perfect slumber. Where was he at this time? Was he with Abraham in the place of holy? Where was he? I don't know where he was, but wherever he was was better than this earth. I assure you. And now he's like awakened back into his body. And now he's confused because, you know, you don't remember all the things they did to you after you died. So he's like wrapped up like a mummy inside. And so you imagine like Lazarus. And he's like... And he's like trying to unwrap himself. That would have been hilarious, folks. <laughs> Jesus on the outside like, gotcha! <laughs> Come on. Uh, anyway, so Lazarus walks out of the grave. Jesus goes, does some more Jesus things. And then two weeks later, uh, roughly, Mary's like, we need to have a, you know what we need to do? That whole thing where he called that guy back from the dead for four days. We should have a, we should have a party. And we should honor Jesus, serve him dinner, and just thank him for the goodness that he has given us. And I just, I just am starting to think, man, the answer that we need to believe that Jesus is really worth what he said he was and all the things that he's done for us, it's sitting at the table, right? Like if you walked in on this dinner party and you're like, Jesus, the guy who called the dead guy back to life just a couple weeks ago. I mean, it was 14 days ago that guy was dead in a grave. And now he's sitting at the table beside Jesus. Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Like, there's someone sitting in this audience we're going to find that day that was not reading the room, okay? If you walk into a room and Jesus is there, number one, you better get down on your face and say, man, praise to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for being patient with me. And then you look a couple of people over and you're like, is that Lazarus? Is, he looks pretty good for having been dead. <laughs> like, how, how could I be sitting next to someone who was dead and now is alive again? The power of God was in the room, the manifestation of what was possible for the power of the word to transform a life, the power to change a life, for life change to happen was sitting at the table. This morning I submit to you that sitting inside this room are hundreds of stories of transformation that but for the grace of God, you would not be sitting in that seat. And you need proof. You need proof this morning that Jesus is alive. I promise you, there's people sitting in this room that would be dead had Jesus not saved them and found them. 
They would have gone on into brokenness. They would have gone on in repeated cycles of suffering. They would have gone on in repeated cycles of failed marriages and failed parenting and failed finances, just like they were raised in. But somehow, some way, God showed up at your funeral. And he said, no, I have other plans for you. He's like, come out of that. And he called you out of death and into life. He called you out of darkness and into light. He called you out of hate and into love. And he called you to mercy. He called you to be gentle when you've been rough all of your life. And it is possible. It is possible. And now we're sitting at the table with you. The table of truth this morning. Breaking God's bread, his word. Man, so many stories in the room. So many stories to be written. You see, she brought out her best, right? After it was personal, it became priceless. What, this oil is something they would save up. This perfume was something they would save up for special occasions. And what's neat about this particular text is um, Lazarus had just died. So they had used this ointment, this perfume, to prepare Lazarus' body. And you would dilute it. So you would mix it with water because it was expensive. And even in the law, the Old Testament law, there was a, there was a law that said you can't waste. And so if you were to, you know, just dump all of it out in one setting, that would be considered waste. And so they would mix a couple of ounces and then they would embalm the body with it. And now here she's walking out and this isn't a funeral, but yet she's putting this oil, this perfume on Jesus' body that the audience doesn't know why she's doing this, but she knew why she was doing it. And Jesus knew why she was doing it. And she was doing it to preach the gospel that Jesus was going to be the suffering Savior. So in this one act, she's preaching the gospel. She's worshiping Jesus as God, whereas all these other people were always getting confused. Is he a man? Is he a religious leader? Is he a political uh, pundit? You know, and she's like, no, he's God. That's who he is. He's God. And I saw what he did. I know who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, what does she bring out? She brings out her best. Her best. And how much does she use of her best? All of it. All of it. Man, you see where I'm going? Oh, woo. Oh. Have you seen him? Move in your life? Have you seen what he can do in your life? I ask you to applaud him for what he has done in your life just 12 minutes ago. So I submit that you have convicted yourself 
of Jesus having loved you enough. And the church said that he has shown you, he has demonstrated, he has never left you, he has never forsaken you, he has never forgotten you. Come on now, if he has shown you who he is, if he has shown you what he can do, then you're telling me somehow along the way that you have not decided like he's not worth your best? What did you bring him today? Did you bring him your best? Do you think he's satisfied with any less than your best? So when you worship him in his house, today, I don't know if you knew this, this is a, a, a dinner that we're honoring Jesus. We're serving the meat of the word, okay? Uh, we don't have the wine today, but you know, come back next week. Um, but man, when we offer you an opportunity to sing, about the Savior that saved you? Boy, if I were you, I'd be bringing my best. I, I tell you, I think he's watching from heaven, every congregation, and he's like, man, those people are not bringing me their best. Maybe at best they're leftovers. They're leftovers, like, oh gosh, you know, I'm really tired today, I'm this, I'm that, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know what, hey, this is his day. You better wake up. You better watch. You better take some notes. This is his house. This is his word. And it might be the very word that changes you for the rest of your life. Are you hearing me? Tell me you're giving him his best. Man, how are you counting? How are we counting today? You count that you showed up? No. Participation in worship is your highest function. Bringing honor and glory to his name. That is your highest function. Above dad, above husband, daughter, son. Your highest calling is to bring worship and glory to his name. After what happened with Lazarus, it was personal. As a result of what happened, it became priceless. So I ask, submit to you, what has Jesus done for you? You see, whenever Jesus showed up at the funeral, what he did next was not expected. You know? Matter of fact, it was so unexpected that it would be thought to be impossible. And that made me think, how many times has God did unexpected things for me? And how many times has God did the impossible for us? I bet everyone in here has a story where you like, you just couldn't quite figure out without God how that was possible. And that drives me to humility. That drives me to a place of just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't know how you did it, but I know you did. Now we got to talk to the other side. Now this is where it's, you thought that was preaching. Okay. Some days I'm Pastor Tim, the teacher for all the new people. And then sometimes I'm Pastor Tim, the preacher. And you say, well, what's the difference? Uh, you'll see in about five minutes. <laughs> it says in response to this incredible gift. Okay. One of his disciples, 
Judas. We'll all say it together on three. One, two, three. Judas. Now remember what John likes to do. What does he like to do? He just drops in little tidbits, right? Little spoilers, if you will. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected to this gift. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages, which by the way, a year's wages, roughly silver coin uh, would be 360 coins is what he's saying, 360 silver coins. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a, let's say it, he was a thief. And what was his name? Judas. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself, what? To what was put into it. Mm. So he said, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save the perfume for the day of my burial. All right. Now, I'm going to do two things at the same time. So Jesus was anointed six days before the passion, before he was crucified, okay? And then a similar event happens with another woman two days from his crucifixion, and the same conversation happens, but I want you to see a key component, and then I'm going to put these two together. We're going to rally towards the end of the message, okay? Ready? Okay. Ready? While he was in Bethany, okay, still same place, different house, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, okay? So you got a dead guy named Lazarus who's not dead anymore at the first house, and now you got a leper that was an incurable disease where you were cast off from society hosting Jesus at another meal, and he's completely healed, Man, read the room. And the woman came with an alabaster box, a very expensive perfume, and made of pure nard. She broke the box and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, indignantly, why this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Let's see what the me monster says, okay? At six days out before the passion, Judas says, why this waste? We could have saved the money and it was worth a year's wages and we could have given it to the poor. Now we know he had an ulterior motive, but on the outside he cast it as a, as a good, matter of fact, we could say he used the God card. He tried to hide his evil behind a God card of something that he didn't even mean. So just be careful when people are saying stuff, right? Sometimes people are, are wrapping things in a God card, but they have an ulterior motive that is for themselves. Some preacher are preaching not for the congregation to be able to grow in their faith and be transformed. They're preaching to grow their own bank account. They're preaching to grow their own glory, to build a statue a little higher of themselves inside their minds. These are all evil things that ought not be the case. And yet, for Judas... It was. But I want you to see that bad ideas are contagious. Because four days later, it was now some of the disciples 
who said some of the same things. So they went from sitting on the sidelines and Judas is sitting there grumbling, oh, you know, I say, we could have saved money here, you know. He was the treasurer, you know, and all treasures. I talked about this last week, but gosh, they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we could have saved some money there, you know. Okay, yeah. But we spend on Jesus, right? Like Jesus is a, like if you were at a line item on your budget, and like which one should we spend the most on? I say Jesus. That's the one I say. Anyway, You bounce four days later and now, literally out loud, some of the disciples are saying, why this waste? Why this waste? Giving to Jesus glory and honor as the Savior of the world seemed like waste to Judas. He was thinking of all the ways that he could save. Whereas Mary was thinking of all the ways she could proclaim he was the Savior. When your heart is in the wrong place and the me monster has a hold of you, you're thinking about how is it going to benefit me? You're thinking about all the ways that you're going to get, whereas Mary was thinking about all the ways that she was going to give. You see, we're all counting this morning, and I want to know what are you counting on? Are you counting on the fact that you're going to have more, or are you counting the fact that if it's about me, then somehow Jesus is cool with it being about me? Let me introduce you to Jesus, okay? Let me introduce you to Jesus. You stand in front of Jesus and say, somehow I made my life about me, and look Jesus in the eye and think that he's going to say yeah, it was, bro. It was all about you. The reason why I died on a cross, that was personal, right? I dare say that he believed that the multitudes were priceless. He gave his life. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was a poor. The Bible says that his blood was poured out so that the many could be saved. He was thinking about his mom at the cross. That was personal. He said, John, take care of her. He was thinking about his men at the cross. He was thinking about sins being forgiven at the cross. It was priceless. It was personal. You see, the cross demanded a cost. And if we're going to carry our cross, it comes at a cost. And when we make it about ourselves, we are literally denigrating what Jesus said this was to be about. So today I'm telling you, like, we got to fix the way we count. We can't count our Christianity and not be sacrificial in how we live. We can't count our Christianity and not be bringing him glory and honor. We're looking for the ways to do the minimum. Mary was looking to do the maximum. What is the best thing I can bring him in this house today? She said, it is my perfume. I would want to perfume the room. The fragrance of worship filled that room that day. Now think of the contrast just two weeks ago. <laughs> They put the same ointment on a dead guy and it couldn't cover the smell that was in his tomb. And Jesus called that guy back to life. And now the same fragrance fills the room, but death has been called back to life. Man, I wanna feel the fragrance of life in the room. I want to feel the fragrance of resurrection 
in the room. I want to feel the fragrance of forgiveness in the room. I want to feel the fragrance of chains falling off of people's lives, that the scales are falling off the eyes, that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus is Lord, the same God who thought it not be robbery in Philippians chapter two. He said that he did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he divested himself of his divinity and he humiliated himself and became a man. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible says, therefore, he has been given a name that is above every name, that at that name, every tongue should confess, every knee will bow, and we will say that he is Lord. He is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings, and he is worthy of our praise. He alone, above all others, is worth the maximum, not the minimum. Quit counting what you could save. Start counting who the Savior is. Give him your best today in just a moment when we have an opportunity to worship. And I guarantee you, you worship your face off, then tell me if the problems that you walked in with aren't left at the altar, and now you can walk home with joy and peace in your heart. Are you ready, church, to give him your best? Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, may we today recognize you. You are worthy, God. Worthy of all our gratitude. Worthy of the song that is in our heart. God, you are worthy on every level. God, I pray that hearts might consider, are they giving their best? If they were sitting in the audience that day, would they say, that's waste? Why give so much to God? Why give so much to Jesus? I would say to you, he's worthy. He's worthy of your life. What he's done for you, read the room. He can call the dead back to life. He can cure the incurable. He can save a soul like yours. Read the room. Can you read the room this morning and say safely that you're not dealing with the me monster, dealing with the more monster? Have they taken over? And what if we put the more monster to death today? What if we put the me monster to death and say, no, instead of it being about me, it's going to be about Jesus from now on. Wouldn't that be transformative? I can't tell you how much better your life would be if Jesus was in charge. We're gonna give you a chance to worship at this time. Let's give God our very best.